Welcome to Female Fear Factory, the podcast, a space where people share the experience with fear inherited from the systems designed to keep certain people from stepping into the joy of their personhood. On this podcast, you will hear about when fear has hurt and when community is healed. The Female Fear Factory is a performance of patriarchal policing of and violence towards women and others cast female who are therefore considered safe to violate. The first thing that comes to my mind is how one defines violation and violated. I think when we think of patriarchal violence, we think of direct violence on the body. You know, we, sometimes, we think of rape and we think of physical violence but I believe that or rather my interpretation of this quote is that patriarchal violence on women is insidious and it takes place over time and women are conditioned from a very young age to mute to shrink and to silence themselves as a way I believe those who are teaching and conditioning them to do so they believe that they are training these women or rather they're training these young girls to navigate the world in a way that they can experience minimum violence from men, which is a catch in two situation. You're asking someone to dim their light, to avoid the attention of men or to avoid, you know, uh, men's gaze on them, however way that can be reflected. But isn't that condition in itself violent? Because that person is not able to live life or express himself in the fullness of their being. It was difficult for me to pinpoint a specific moment of realization that I felt, or rather a, a, a specific incident that happened that made me feel, oh my goodness, this is a violation of, my, of myself. But the one example that I came up with um, happened in my 20s, and this was at church. So I went to one of these charismatic Nigerian churches, um, very vibrant, and where the pastor was more or less the be all and end all. In fact, the pastor was called daddy by everybody, which is, you know, the norm in a lot of Nigerian churches. And I remember this Saturday before I had this hairstyle. It was, um, it's called comb twist. I don't know if people are familiar with it, but it's, it's, I had short hair, did this comb twist and I was, I was feeling myself. And I went to church and, you know, I was in the choir in that church. Went to church, sat where the choir sit. And the pastor was preaching. Mid-preaching, he interrupts himself and he looks at me. He said, Sarah, why do you have warm on your head? Why do you have that yeah, yeah, warm on your head? I don't want to see it. Oh, go and get rid of that hairstyle right now in front of the entire church. And at this time, the church had about 200 members. And here I am in my early 20s, like, what, what to do, what to do? For me, that was a, a watershed moment, even though there had been a lot, but in terms of this conversation, that was a watershed moment for me because it was so public. It was so direct. It was such a violation because I, I, mean, I took pride and I still take pride in my self-presentation. It really shifted my engagement with him as a spiritual leader, a spiritual advisor. And I remember when I was about to leave the church, uh, you know, I tried to do the right thing in that you go and you tell your pastor that I'm leaving instead of just dipping out like a lot of people do. So I went to him and I was like, yo, I'm finna bounce without using those exact words, of course. And then um, 
he then starts counseling me and having conversations and all of that. And the man said to me, oh, I know the moment you lost your virginity, the Lord revealed it to me. I was like, hold up. <laughs> what is going on right here, right now? It was ridiculous. I'm mentioning these two incidents as part of um, the moment of reckoning where one, I felt unsafe spiritually in that he is telling me <laughs> that an intimate moment that is outside of him. And by the way, you know, I, I, I my university days, I lived outside of London and this conversation is taking place in London many years later. And this man is alluding to something that he believes he knows. Um, but of course, he is using his spiritual position to assert some knowledge over me. And of course, when you take into account his maleness, when you take into account his, his authority as a spiritual leader, and when you take into account the omnipotence of God and what that represents and what he's alluding that conversation, it is really unsafe. I felt really <laughs> unsafe at that moment. And I think the question then is where does one go and where does one find safety when your place, where the place where one is supposed to get sucker is unsafe to you. Faith is a place of safety, but when the person you trust to guide you spiritually is manipulating you and making you feel, in effect, making you feel exposed all the time, you know? The incident with um, the, you have one in your hair, oh yeah, go and wash it out, you know? That, that particular incident, it was so public that I was taken aback by how many women supported this violation they were like hey now go and wash it i was like i spent money on this i was so upset that i was crying because one the embarrassment and two i'm like i look good um but it was the women who endorsed this and of course you know um churches they're mostly dominated by women or they're mostly attended by women is the way the women endorsed this so not only was i did i feel unsafe um, with this person and I'm using unsafe within the context of me being able to sort of express myself um, through my style but I also felt unsafe by the women who were supposed to understand and then with the pastor telling me that oh yeah I know when you lost your virginity I felt unsafe I felt like someone was someone had a binocular to my private life and my private um, inner workings, even though I knew that it was a false binocular, but that is registered in your mind, in one's mind. So some of the strategies that I adopted was one, I just didn't care about what people thought of how I dressed anyways, because when you've been embarrassed so publicly like that, and by the way, these um, services were recorded. And this was at the time where you could buy tapes, you could buy CDs of the recordings. And the videos were also, people could also purchase the videos to watch as well. So this embarrassment was, in my mind, was a perpetuity. So of course it's like, okay, the worst has happened. I'm not going to care anymore about what anyone says about how I dress because I'm not violating any spiritual tenets. It's just how I choose to express myself. So there was a reclaiming of power through that incident. And with the whole, uh, you know, as I said, the second incident, it really stopped me from confiding in people and it made me distrustful of people who have positioned themselves as spiritual advisor. Like, in effect, you had to prove yourself to me for me to 
you know I, I yeah I found myself becoming a lot more discerning like I had to I was just very distrustful and um, very distrustful of so-called um, spiritual men and I became very astute to the manipulative tactics and how they manipulate um, the congregation I, I think that you can attempt to police yourself but you know policing is a form of it's just unpleasant as i said you want to live a life of freedom you know you want to live a life of peace you want to live a life of joy you want to live a vibrant life and there is someone just intruding but suffice to say that i it took me a long time to trust um pastors and i'm still coming to terms with that and i really am distrustful of so-called people of god so yeah and that's one of the ways in which i protect myself so i wouldn't say i police myself i'd say i protect myself from them I've been thinking a lot about the question of how I've policed myself based on the incidents mentioned. I think that, you know, it takes a lifetime to unlearn the violence that one has encountered because it is such a shock. It is such a trauma uh, or it rather it can be a traumatic shock that at the time it happens, sometimes you don't realize the shock. You don't realize the impact on you. You imbibe it. And then it starts manifesting in other parts of your life and it starts causing hindrance in other aspects of one's life. I wouldn't say that my policing has shifted, but in thinking of patriarchy and how patriarchy sort of polices women and how patriarchy and the you know female fear factory as a fruit of patriarchy, I really do feel that as long as the sun rises, the violence of patriarchy will continue to exist. But yeah, I don't think my policing has I, my policing has shifted because people because people always um, replicate different aspects of patriarchal violence. Sometimes it could be it could be a joke. Um, sometimes it could be someone just saying something unintentionally, or sometimes it could just be your friends picking on your insecurity that feeds into patriarchal tropes you know but what i would say is that um, in terms of policing what i would say and what has been my strategy of survival is to identify your place of safety and identify your identify the characteristics within people or your safety characteristics in people i think that's very important if you know the characters and the characteristics in people that make you feel safe, then you know how to navigate the world and you know who to align yourself with um, so as to minimise the shrinking and to minimise your policing, you know, because we're made to shine. And it's very important that we adopt strategies and we know where our allies are and we're able to easily identify our allies and easily able to identify um, people who would allow us yeah i would say allow us to thrive and people who we can thrive together and i use allow specifically because you're not seeking permission but you want to give yourself permission to be vulnerable see fear is a feeling i am very very intimately acquainted with and fear manifests itself in very different ways of course there are the big fears and the small fears but i find that i am encountering these small fears which multiplies into big fears every day how have i carved out fear-free spaces for myself 
it is through having really good friends i mean i say good friends that people who i feel safe with i know my barometer of safety i know my definition of safety and there are people whom i have developed friendships and sisterhood with that i am oh the way they have held me up the way they have sustained me they are sometimes my place of refuge when i'm just like oh my god you know or sometimes as you know uh when what is exaggerating and you just feel like the world is falling on you or it could just be something minute you just want to talk things through i mean individual relationships with friends and also collective relationship with friends is very important um to me but um there are spaces for myself I also retreat into myself. For me, that's a really big fear-free space when I retreat into myself um, and sort of explore within um, because then one is shielded from the external, <laughs> from the external variables and the external actors in the whole patriarchal chain. That's how I, I strategize. And how am I facing fear? I learned that for me personally, the biggest strategy for facing for facing fear is talking to people whom I trust and people whom yes people whom I trust talking my fears through with them because you know to quote the bible in the multitude in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom if you stay if you keep replaying the thing over and over in your mind you're never going to get a solution and the problem is magnified but if you talk through with another person um, they're able to give you a different perspective so that's yeah because I think that my my fears are intangible you know so I'm privileged in that sense and my fears are intangible they're things I can't control I quite navigate the world in a very confident way I can go into a place and take up space so my fear is not really a physical fear or spaces or physical fear of people you know um, curtailing me it is more sort of this intangible of things you can't control so those are my strategies of navigating those i am sarah ozo irabo founder of books and rhymes and director of the akok empire for african writing and this has been my female fair factory story <laughs>